Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin, and for this latest conversation in our beef and dairy industry series, we're joined by Twig Marston, a beef nutritionist with the Alltech division Hubbard Feeds. Welcome, Twig. Well, thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be here. And let's get this out of the way up front. I'm sure you've been asked this enough to roll your eyes every time it happens, but I've never met anybody named Twig. How did you come by that name? That's actually my parents gave me that the day I was born. So that's on my birth certificate. And if you ask my mom and dad, um, if you ask them, hey, where'd you get the name Twig? They'll just they'll just laugh and never give you an answer. So I have no idea where it came from. It's <laughs> definitely not a family name. But it's one that sure stuck through the years. Well, it's a good one. It's uh, one that nobody will forget, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a little different. So, Twig, your expertise is in beef nutrition with focuses on improving the efficiency of beef production and increasing the demand for beef. So let's uh, start with efficiency. What needs improvement in that area? Well, I think, Tom, when we talk about efficiency, a lot of times we'll try to compartmentalize and and look at like one phase of a calf's life or one part of a cow herd or, you know, pieces and parts. And I think now and, and in the future, both, we're looking more at a systems approach. Of, okay, if we change this and improve the efficiency of this part, uh, if we interact with different parts of our production system, say like the forage management or the grain management, along with the the transportation management and the actual cow herd or the animals themselves, we can improve efficiency uh, in a much better rate, not better in profitable or sustainable, but better in just everything that we put into the system. And then as we get along further and further, we can make more changes that will build on each other as we go. And so we're looking for the intersections in the industry to make those. And I think as as we do that, one of the things that we do is in the system, I, I'm a cow-calf guy, so I like to look at, okay, how do I improve cow-calf efficiency? And a lot of times I'll go to reproductive efficiency, and that's intertwined with nutrition. And that's that's where my expertise comes in is how do we get cows in the right body condition score? How do we feed them the right trace minerals and vitamin packages? How do we give them enough protein that they can go out and forage and harvest efficiently harvest the forages that we make, but in turn increase the reproductive efficiency, which actually gives us more sellable calves per cow exposed. And then we take that even further as we wean that calf and go into post-weaning ownership and, and production, we look at, okay, how can we improve their rate of gain? How can we improve their their feed efficiency? And And then we get to start tying in things like genetics and and all kinds of other facets of the industry that, you know, 20 years ago, we studied genetics, we studied reproduction, we studied nutrition. Now we're starting to study all of them together. And together, we're making much quicker progress in increasing efficiency and quality of our product. Well, these are definitely the strangest of times in recent decades anyway. Uh, What's happened to consumer demand for beef during this pandemic? When we talk about consumer demand, it shifted during the pandemic, but it stayed strong. And so it's changed from how people eat or where people eat or how they spend their food dollars 
But one of the things that they've done to beef is they've come back to beef time and time again as they look at the opportunities to include that as part of their meal, as part of the protein section. And and, and they, I think the story the last 20, 30 years through different nutritional programs and different beef advertisements has been the nutrient density of red meat. You know, what do you get out of red meat besides protein, zinc and iron and and those things that that help balance and make a good good healthy diet for the public. And I think also what we've seen over the year of the pandemic uh, is uh, a changes in demand for exports uh, where our our neighbors, whether they're across an ocean or connected to us on the North American continent, have continued to support the beef industry in their purchases of of beef and, and beef protein products as, as we look out there. And so as we look at the pandemic, what effects has it had? It's changed the way we've ate, but it also has not always changed it in a way that it's hurt our business and it, or shifted our business to other proteins. Uh, we remain strong throughout that. And, and I was just reading a forecast today uh, that came out with numbers from November and December of last year. And they predict that 2021, we're going to continue to increase the demand for beef and the beef products that we produce here in the United States. The USDA is forecasting that meat prices will rise about 6.5% this year, more than double their usual rate. What's driving up those prices? Well, several things are. One is they've just readjusted some of the the numbers, uh, the inventory numbers of beef supply out there. And they have decreased not only the 2020 number of calves born in the United States, but also the number of calves that were born in 2019. So that's going to affect the number of cattle that we have available to market during the year of 2021. Along with that, over the last three or four months, we've seen a steady increase in feed production costs. The price of corn, the price of soybeans, two of our major staples when we get to the finishing phase of the beef industry have gone up dramatically during the last, like I said, two or three, four months if we look back through those charts. And one of the things that tends to happen when feed prices increase is we'll have a a lag in the cost of beef or the prices of beef, but then we'll see beef start to catch itself up with those higher prices. So in the end, high feed prices produces high beef prices. And so that will support those increases in beef costs that we we see that will end up in the consumer. Well, following those, tracing those falling dominoes backwards, uh, we're now at the point of feed going up. What's driving that? What's driving up the price of feed? Several things are driving up the price of feed that we use in the beef industry. One is increased exports to, to foreign nations that want our grain supply. And so they're direct competitors with the feeding of, of livestock in the United States. Part of that is due for the supply that's out there, the, the number of bushels that are produced not only in the United States, but other countries as well, but also is the monetary policies of different countries besides the United States. And us devaluing our dollars through the last several months has made our products more valuable in the export market. And so that's driven many, many countries to come to the United States and start to build their supplies to meet their demands and future demands 
from our grain supply. So it's not just one thing, it's several things coming together and it's been uh, very good if you're a grain producer. It's been uh, it's made your life a little more complicated if you're a livestock producer. What about consolidation in the packing industry? Is that trend having any impact on pricing? It has in the past, probably. Uh, I mean, there's no denying that uh, we had more packers uh, several decades ago than we do now. But really, the packer consolidation hasn't uh, changed much in the last 20 to 30 years, at least. Uh, The same big players are the same big players. Yeah, maybe some names have changed or they've switched some divisions or they've added to their companies. But we still have about the same number of large packers out there that we had before. Uh, There is some consolidation always going on in the medium-sized and small uh, packing industry. And so that will have some local uh, and regional effects. But overall, I think consolidation doesn't drive it, except those companies now have different points of leverage as we look at supply and demand. I think really it gets to back how many pounds of cattle are out there for the packers to harvest and how many pounds can they deliver out of their harvesting efficiency to the public and the products that they produce. And so that pendulum swings back and forth between who has the leverage in the supply and demand markets out there between the producers and the cattle raisers and those packers. And of course, there's times when one will have an advantage and then then that pendulum will swing and the other side of that equation has an advantage. And we've seen uh, uh, since the pandemic, first there was a fire at one of the major packing plants that reduced packing capacity. And then with the, the pandemic coming, with COVID coming in and reducing the size of the workforce at times, we've seen a decrease in ability to produce. And that caused a backlog of cattle. And so that wasn't anyone's fault. It's just the way things happened. And so now we've had to live through that. And I think we're now on the getting on the front side of the of, of the whole back of supply. And so I think we'll see a shift now in leverage as we go forward. Uh, and we've seen that shift, I think, in the last month or so. Prices may not have always been what producers wanted, but they did stabilize. And I, at times we see some pretty bright spots. And then we look at futures and different abilities to manage our risk in the future. And we see some opportunities for some profits as we look out in the front months. Okay, a change of subject. What trends are you seeing? What's happening with all natural and niche market programs? What's going on there? Uh, What we see out in the country is more and more interest in those. There's still a small but a growing part of the beef production systems. People are more, producers are much more comfortable about what the rules are and and the production practices that need to be put in place, the affidavits or certificates of production to make sure the product meets specs and those kind of things. All those are becoming more and more acceptable or at least knowledge about that. So you know where you're at, you know what your opportunities are on the production side. I think on the other side, on the packing industry, the fabrication and the, and the retail sales, they are finding more and more ways to identify their brands and to advertise and present those brands to the public to show their advantages. And I think the part of these natural markets, it was kind of the chicken and the egg. Which one do you need first? Do you need more pounds of natural beef or, 
or branded beef in a certain product, or do you need the market out there to pull that through? And I think we've found that there's a balance there and that now the pull through is becoming slightly larger every day. And so we, we see more and more opportunities when we get to those different kinds of branded products that we can present to the public. Well, we're seeing that the uh, the new Biden administration is much more aggressive on the matter of climate change and reducing greenhouse gases that contribute to it. And I'm wondering, uh, do you see a role for the feed industry to play in that effort? Oh yes, I think uh, I think we'll be front and center in that in that opportunity. I think some can look at climate change and greenhouse gas production and environmental sustainability, those kind of things. And they can look at them as problems or they can look at them or you can turn the table around and look at them as an opportunity. You know, what can we do if we're in the production system? What can we do to do that? What can we uh, be more efficient in uh, the production of the crops and the forages out there? And so that we have a a larger role to play in carbon sequestration back into the soil. Is there a way we can play a bigger part of the natural carbon cycle where CO2 or greenhouse gases are produced in our production system, but we can return them back to the the natural carbon cycle back into a healthy soil and start that that cycle to where we don't have a buildup or a, a dam or a barrier from that cycle from taking its place? And so as we learn more and more about how we can enhance those abilities, we can take more and more responsibilities of helping other industries out there that don't have that opportunity to enter the carbon cycle as easily as we do. And so I see it as a, as a great opportunity for us in the beef industry to uh, help uh, not only our country, but the world get the control of climate control and of carbon production or carbon atmospheric carbon and, and get it back into the soil. I, I see that as a major focus that we have in the future, and I see it as a, as a huge business opportunity for our industry as well. Well, Twig, are, are you seeing developments or trends in the areas of research and innovation that are, are especially interesting to you? Yes, I, I like to keep up with journals and, and uh, the research journals and, and see what's cooking out there, what the young minds and the old minds are, are putting together and, and how they build science and, and uh, what science has to do with improving uh, our product, the production of beef and, and the food that we provide for people. I mean, really, when we get down to animal agriculture, whether we're in the beef industry or the swine industry, uh, we're in this business to feed people. I'm always interested in those opportunities where we can improve the quality of our product, improve the safety and wholesomeness of our product. I look for intersection and I'm, some of the intersections that I'm quite interested in is the intersections between genetics and production, say like nutrition or reproductive physiology. Uh, in genetics, we're fine tuning more and more of being able to predict what animals can do and what they can't do, and then use that to enhance our production system so that we know how to feed this kind of cattle, or we can improve our feed efficiency with different types of diets that we might feed them. So it's an intersection of different disciplines within the industry. The other part of research that I really enjoy reading is the research that has nothing to do with beef. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there, we've got some exciting things that the world is learning about viruses and learning about climate, learning about social behaviors, learning about all those different kinds of things. And that's where we're going to find the intersections, I think, that advance science. You know, if any, everybody just studied beef, we'd have great beef, but, but we'd be leaving out other parts of our society that we can make improvements on. Uh, maybe if we look at biosecurity and those kind of things in the beef industry, we can use that biosecurity to predict our human population as well. And so I always look for, for things within my realm, and then I try to uh, reach out and look at things that are kind of off the charts and say, hmm, that's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, in a previous interview that we did, we heard about tomato farmers in England who figured out how to make their packaging, their their crates, out of tomato twigs, which was pretty interesting stuff. And that's the kind of thing that's going on, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, we're finding uh, different ways to prolong the shelf life of a product to reduce the injury so that we have less waste. You know, one of the big things in food production is waste. Uh, even though we have part of our population that needs more food that is not readily available to them, if we look at the amount of food that either spoils or doesn't get transported right or doesn't get apportioned right, we could capture that waste back and make our product more available and and get rid of some of the food deserts that we have out there uh, across the world. Have there been any recent tweaks or updates to the Blueprint feedlot or seed stock programs? Oh, yes. Uh, And that's the beauty of the Blueprint program is it's an evolving product line. Uh, We started out with basic cow mineral nutrition, uh, mineral supplements that went uh, went straight for the cow herd. And then we started kind of another set for the uh, growing and finishing phases of beef production. Over this last six months, We've stepped back and really looked at those opportunities that the whole production system could benefit from the use of organic trace minerals, the use of feed additives like Biomoss 2 and, and uh, Intricol and, and some of those products that we know can, can really aid in the production of beef. And so we've started to incorporate them and looking at the different phases, but then putting a life like a life cycle into the product line to where it just all fits together. And that it's been a great product and a program to work with. Uh, we're getting some exciting results, some great testimonials from uh, producers that have been with us for three years, been with us for three months, uh, you know, about how well the products use that not only gives us or, or makes us smile about, we know we have a good product, but it also stretches our imagination of, where does this need to go next? Where are we headed to it? How can we make this even better? Well, you've mentioned opportunity a couple of times here, and I just thought we would wrap up by my asking you, what, in a broad sense, what opportunities should producers be keeping their eyes on? Some people call opportunities problems, and I try to always turn it around and look at problems and turn them into opportunities. But I think if I was a producer out there and I was looking for opportunities to stay on top of my game, the first thing is is I would stay informed. I would watch the world. I would watch my business and I would watch my community and try to learn every chance I could. I think being a lifelong learner is a very, very important part of being a successful beef producer, a successful part of the ag industry. And the other thing is stay alert. 
uh, I think one of the things that can happen to us uh, when we're out there in the production phases of our industry is we've made a widget and we just keep making that widget and we don't think about the other opportunities that come along. And so I think we need to stay alert and look at the different opportunities that come evolved. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, one of the things that we say about beef is the only thing that we waste on a beef animal when we harvest it is the ball. We make uh, some of the finest brushes in the world, paint brushes in the world, out of the hair that's in the ear of a cow. Uh, we used to be used for almost all the insulin production until uh, recombinant uh, DNA was used to produce it artificially. And and so we, I think we always need to continue to look at those opportunities of how we can better raise our product, how we can increase the value of our product, and what can we make of higher value that can better people's lives with what we do as beef producers. Well, it's also interesting. It's Twig Marston, a beef nutritionist with the Alltech division Hubbard Feeds. Thank you, Twig. Thank you. Join us for the rest of this series as we reflect on how the agriculture industry adapted in 2020 and speak with experts on what's in store for agri-food in 2021. Be sure to subscribe to AgFuture wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm Tom Martin. We thank you for listening.